If you have Mark chapter 4, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read God's word together. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone here has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as a man if he should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain, in the ear, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it. In, he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, "With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade." With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, and as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. You may be seated. Two weeks ago, as we were looking and following through in Mark's gospel, we came to what is often known as the parable of the sower. We, if you were with us as we went through that parable and went through that text, we understood that we have been called to sow the seed of the word into the world around us. We have been called to spread the good news of Christ and what He has done through His death and burial and resurrection. We understand that as we share God's Word, as we share the good news of what Christ has done, that it does not mean that everyone we come in contact with is going to joyfully embrace what we're saying. We saw that in each of the soils, each of them having a different response to hearing God's Word. Part of what I want us to see this morning is that a part of our job in sowing the Word, in in spreading the Word, is to be a good steward of the Word. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a good steward of the Word? Of the word. That's what I want us to look at today because in the text that we have, we are given that instruction. It's not by chance that Mark couples this parable of the sower with this further information about how we should be good stewards of what God has given us. 
And I think it's very relevant in the time that we live in because there is a great tendency among many people not to be good stewards of the word. And I think we're going to see that as we walk through this text. We're going to see that in some of the examples that we have before us. The first thing he tells us here in being a good steward of the word is to be careful about what we teach about the kingdom. See, all these parables that are, that are grouped here together are about God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is a wonderful topic for us to discuss. At the same time, it's a difficult topic for us to always understand. Because what is the kingdom of God? Well, we need to understand that the kingdom of God is about his rule and reign. And the kingdom of God is complicated in the fact that when you and I look around us, I think we would, we would question as to whether or not God is fully ruling and reigning over everything. Because we look at some of the evil that is happening in the world, and I think it would be easy to question, is God really ruling and reigning over all of this and these things still going on? That's why when we look at New Testament theology, we come away with an understanding of the kingdom of God as something that is already happening. It has already begun. We, we saw that in, in the life of Christ. We saw that again in his death and his burial and his resurrection. We saw the, the inauguration of the kingdom of God, the beginning of God's kingdom and the, the message going forth and his disciples took the, the word of God to the world. But at the same time, we realize that the rule and reign of God is not fully complete. Because we do turn on our televisions and we see the evil that is pervasive in the world. We see people who do horrific things. We even look at our own hearts and we realize though we have been redeemed by Christ, we still struggle with our own sin. We still struggle with our own shortcomings. And so the kingdom of God has most definitely begun. But it is not fully yet complete. And so we need to understand that context as God tells us here in his word about his kingdom. So he he tells us beginning in verses 21 through 25 that we should be careful what we teach about the kingdom. Careful about what we teach about the kingdom. He says first, beginning in verse 21, that the lamp is not to be hidden. He says, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? It seems kind of silly, right? But why in the world would you take a lamp, go to the trouble of lighting it, and then put it under a basket? Now, if you grew up in church, you're probably very familiar with with the, uh, the little kid's song, you know, this little light of mine, and you're not going to hide it here and put it there, and, you know, it's all these places it's not supposed to go, and then there's, the, you know, the places it is supposed to go. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. It's a ridiculous notion to think that you would take a lamp 
and hide it under a basket or hide it under a bed. For people that are listening to Jesus, most of them would have lived in very small one-room homes, and most of them, if they were very fortunate, owned one lamp. And so if that's all you have, if that's the entire lighting source of your home, why in the world would you take it and stick it under your bed or stick it under a basket? You wouldn't do that, correct? You would take it and you would put it on a stand where it could give light to as much of the room as possible. You would put it up somewhere high where it could just spread out over the whole room. You wouldn't put it anywhere where it would be hidden. He says that's how we need to understand the kingdom of God. It is not a place that should be hidden. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 22, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. The whole goal, the whole purpose of a lamp is to give light to the room that it is in. And the same is true for the kingdom of God. It's ridiculous to think that it would be hidden. But Jesus' point is that the kingdom is light, and therefore, no one should attempt to hide it. The kingdom was coming to light. Jesus is unveiling for the people. He is giving them this glimpse into the kingdom, and he wants them to understand that it cannot, should not, no one should ever think about hiding it. See, I think that's an interesting thought for us to ponder because we have this tendency in the time in which we live to hide the kingdom. We don't want everyone to see this little light of mine, right? You know, the the kid's song made real simple for us. But that's often what we do, correct? We often are not taking the lamp that we have been given and putting it in places where it can shine effectively into people's lives. We often don't take the message that we have been given in the gospel and share it with people so that they are aware of God's kingdom. I'm not saying you need to go to work tomorrow and begin a long rant about the kingdom of God. Your coworker is probably going to have no idea what you're talking about. Let's be honest, you may, as I do, have some troubles in explaining that. But at the same time, if we have been radically changed by Christ, if he has changed our heart, if he has transferred us from our sin into a relationship with him, that's something that the people around us ought to know and need to know. They ought to know it because we shouldn't be able to hide it. It's a lamp that we have been given And they need to know it because they also need to move from the the place in their sin to the place of forgiveness in Christ. He says the lamp should not be hidden. And so when we do not share our light, when we do not take the lamp of the good news of Christ that we have been given and put it on the stand for people to see it, we are teaching something incorrect about the kingdom. See, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches and there's a lot of pastors that do not tell the people sitting in their congregations that they have a need to share the good news of Christ. They encourage them to hide this news about the kingdom. 
And Jesus says here that, that the kingdom cannot and must not be hidden. It must not be something that is kept secret. As a matter of fact, he has begun sharing it to people, helping them to understand, spreading the good news so that they are aware. The lamp must not be hidden, so be careful what you teach about the kingdom. Secondly, verse 24, not only should the lamp not be hidden, but he tells us here that we are measured by how we measure. He says, verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why should we listen to what Jesus is saying? He makes it clear because we will be measured by how we measure. Now to me, this is a frightening notion. Because we're all the time measuring everything. Like when someone comes in and applies for a job with our church and our, our child enrichment center. From the moment that a piece of paper comes across my desk with their resume, I'm measuring them. Many of you own businesses. You know what that's like. You start measuring them from the beginning. When they walk in the door, guess what you're doing? You're measuring them. What do they look like? How do they act? Did they take the interview seriously or did they come in looking like a bum? Are they, are they serious about working for you or are they just looking for a paycheck? You measure them as they answer your questions. You measure them, if you're like me, by the questions that they ask. If someone asks good questions, it, it shows that they have been thinking about the position, that they're interested in it, that they, they have a good head on their shoulders to begin thinking about the things that are going to be a part of that job. Everybody we meet, we do this, right? I know we don't say we do this, but we're this church, we're trying to be honest, right? When we meet someone, we're, we're thinking about them. We're, we're contemplating who they are. We're, we're thinking about what, what, what their their goals could be what their relationship is with you you're you're meeting them and you're talking to them yeah if you meet them for five seconds you don't put a lot of thought into it but the more you talk to somebody the more you're thinking about who they are and what they what they're doing and and how you're getting to know them but jesus here talks about us measuring by understanding we will be measured by the way that we measure others the way that we measure the kingdom, the way that we measure the gospel. There is this notion today that we have in our society that we shouldn't measure at all. Sometimes we would use the word judge. I remember a particular young man that I was a youth pastor and we picked him up on the bus for vacation Bible school and he was obviously rough around the edges. It didn't take a lot of measuring to figure that out. I mean, he pretty much just laid it out for you. And we were talking about the Bible because it's Vacation Bible School. And we were talking about people's favorite verses. And his, his favorite verse, his favorite notion from the Bible was that nobody could judge him. Some of you may be sitting out there going, yeah, that's mine too. Nobody can judge. Only God can judge. Now, of course, that's one of those texts of Scripture that has been completely taken out of context and completely twisted around and misunderstood because 
Jesus talks here about measuring. What we need to understand is that our measurement of others and our measurement of everything that goes on in life has to be measured by the grace and mercy of Christ. Because, see, if we measure others and we do so out of some self-righteousness that we have, it's never going to work out, right? Because ultimately, when God looks at my life, when God looks at my heart and I am not under Christ, then he sees nothing but filthiness and sin, And so we are prone as human beings to look at other people and say, okay, well, I'm glad I'm not as bad as they are. Or or I've got this better than they do. Or I've done this better than they have. The interesting thing about that is there's probably someone else out there who's looking at us and going, at least I'm not him. At least I'm not her. At least I've got my life together better than they do. At least my marriage is better than theirs. At least my kids or is better, my kids are better than theirs. It's a false measurement. It can never add up. It can never work out. And so Jesus here is telling them as they as he tells them to be careful how they measure, they they should be measuring things, they should be understanding things through the power and mercy and grace of Christ. See, if we measure things by the light, the light of this lamp he is talking about, the kingdom of God that he is talking about, if we measure things by that, then we have no fear of measuring inaccurately. See, I, that whole judging thing, I'm just not affected by it. Because, see, God impresses heavily upon me when I mess up. I don't know if that's you or not, but when I sin, God impresses it heavily upon me. I don't walk away from it and go, huh, I got away with that. No, no problem. So God tells me when I've messed up. I'm sure if you're in Christ, it speaks loudly in your ear when you mess up. And so when I look at someone else's life, And I see the grasp that sin has upon them. I'm not judging them based on my self-righteousness because I don't have any. But we can look at that and say, God's called that sin. And at the same time, we can look at that and say, and God has grace for that. That's, That's sin, and if that sin is not dealt with, there is no hope in that person's life. The only hope they have is in the grace of Christ. See, it's, it's such a terrible notion that, that God has somehow taken away the opportunity for Christians to measure other people's lives. That's what society tells us. Society tells us, hey, you can't tell anybody anything is wrong. If you do, you hate them. One of the fact of the matter is Christ tells us things that are right and things that are wrong, not because of his hatred for us, but because of his love for us. Because he wants to point us to something that is better. 
He points us away from our sin and he points us toward our grace or toward his grace rather. So if we ever get to the point where we as the church of Christ decide, you know what, we're not going to tell anybody anything else is wrong. Then we might as well close up and be done. Because if nothing is wrong, if nothing is sin, whether it's what we look at as big sins or little sins or whatever, they're all sin in God's eyes. And if we ever fail to stop looking at them like that, then we're done. Because if we're not sinners, then we don't need grace. And if we don't need grace, then everything we're reading about in the Bible with Christ dying for our sins was foolishness. So he tells us, don't teach wrongly about the kingdom. Tell people as they measure, measure by the gospel of Christ. Measure by the grace that has been given to us. That no matter how far someone has went in their sin, they can be redeemed by Christ. But at the same time, we must tell them they need redemption. Be careful what you teach. The lamp shouldn't be hidden. We're measured by what we measure. Look at verse 25. He gives and he takes away. The one who has listened to the words that he has said and embraced them will continue to grow in his knowledge. Look what he writes in verse 25. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It's amazing how many people teach falsely about the kingdom of God. If we were to take a survey this morning of all the preaching that was on television and all the preaching that was in the churches around us, we would probably find a lot of miscommunication, some inadvertent and some intentional, about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not that you would have a full bank account. I'm sorry if that's disappointing. Some of you understand very clearly that to be the case. The kingdom of God is not that you would have health and wealth in this world. It's not promised to you. It's not there. I would be glad if you found it in the Bible and can prove it to me to be the case because that would be wonderful, except that it would show that most all of us do not have that experience. The Bible doesn't promise that. The Bible doesn't promise that the kingdom of God is an easy road throughout your entire life. If you were to turn on the television this morning, you might get that misconception. But that's not the case. The kingdom of God does not make that promise to you. And so he says here, the important thing as you're listening to what Christ has said is to understand appropriately and communicate appropriately the kingdom of God. That it does mean you will have trials. That it does mean you will have difficulties. That it doesn't mean you're going to have everything you want exactly when you want it. But the kingdom of God does mean that we have hope. That we have a future with Christ. And so he says, the one who understands this, the one who has, more will be given. But the one who has not, everything will be taken away. See, those who distort and mishandle what has been given to them have no place in the kingdom of God. God takes it away. 
He takes seriously when someone distorts the truth. We just don't seem to think that anymore. I'm amazed that even sometimes how our own Southern Baptist Convention just doesn't seem to care that much when it gets distorted anymore. It bothers me. I think we should have a very high standard. And we shouldn't lower that standard for any reason. The truth of God has been the truth of God since the creation of the world. It has not changed. And so we never should let it be minimized. We never should give it a pass. I used to go to this pastor's gathering and there was preaching and most of the preachers are far better than I am and they've been preaching a long time and they know what they're doing and crafting a message but every now and then someone would get up and they would say some things that were simply not true just completely against what God's word says they had crafted their sermon very nicely, nicely. They had really pithy points. And, and, but in doing so, they had missed the truth of God's word. And when some of us would talk about it afterwards, there were always some who would just dismiss it. Well, he's just doing his thing or, or he, he's just... Maybe she's a younger pastor. He's just learning or, or whatever the excuse is. But the fact of the matter is, we as Christians, when we hear that, we need to correct that. Because sometimes people just don't know better. Sometimes they've just never heard it differently. They've never, they've never heard it that way. They've never heard the proper way before. But we should not let that go. Because God takes great offense when the message of his kingdom is twisted and changed. He hates it. He doesn't want anything to do with it. So he tells us, be careful. Be careful what you teach about the kingdom. And so he gives us two things. The last two things we'll look at in these last few verses. He gives us two things to tell us about a proper understanding of the kingdom. Now we should understand that we can't fully answer what the kingdom of God is like this morning. I mean, it's been written about for the last 2,000 years of church history. We don't have quite that much time. What is the kingdom of God like? He gives these two parables here, the parable of the, uh, so the seed growing and the parable of the mustard seed in these last few verses to give them some understanding of what the kingdom of God is like. He starts with the parable of the seed growing. You know, you'll notice right off the bat that this is very similar to the parable of the sower. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. We have this picture again of this farmer going along, and he is just sowing these seeds. He's scattering them out. And we should take from this that he must have sown them on the good soil like we saw back in the parable of the sower because they begin to grow. He plants them. 
and they start growing. And so you would think that when he plants the seeds that he would get in and he would be working hard, he would be uh, pulling out the weeds, he would be constantly tending to the seed. But the parable tells us that he went to sleep. He took a nap. You know, after you scatter a bunch of seed, it's hot. I mean, we're talking about the Middle East. You take a nap. And we get the sense from the parable that he just, he doesn't return. He sleeps and rises night and day, verse 27 says. And the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. He hasn't put any effort into growing the seed. But the Bible says in verse 28, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So while this man is asleep, while he's not there, the earth causes the seed to grow, and it grows up fully. And then the man steps back in here at the very end, in verse 29. When the harvest comes, the man steps back in, he gets his sickle out, he cuts the grain, he harvests it. He's reintroduced to the story when it's time for the harvest. See, this is the picture that Jesus gives us of the kingdom. The sower did his part. Remember, what was the sower's responsibility? It was to scatter this seed out. And so that's what he did. He went out and he did his job. He went out and he scattered the seed. He went out and he planted. And then he stepped back. And Jesus says there, the earth produces well, if you understand the biblical storyline and you go all the way back to the beginning, we see that even God was in that as everything in the garden sprouted up. And then the man's responsibility returns. He is to come back and take part in the harvest. This is the role that you and I have. We are to scatter the seed of God's word. This is what the kingdom of God is like. We are to be there scattering the seed, spreading God's word, and trusting that as we spread God's word, that it's, it's going to do exactly what he said. It's going to accomplish everything that he intends for it to do. It's going to go, and it's going to grow, and it's going to prepare, be prepared for the time of the harvest. And then we are to come back in at the time of the harvest and participate in in this great harvest that God is giving us. See, we must take seriously our role as sower and our role as the one who is a part of the harvest. See, we, we're not there to make the seed grow. If you, if you think about that, it's, it's one of the great miracles that God has is that you plant these seeds and something grows out of them. But when it's accomplished, when God's done everything that he is going to do with his word, we are to be there and to take part in this harvest. As we read this, we may be drawn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, where Paul talks about him planting and a fellow by the name of Apollos watering and God giving the growth. See, in that situation, Paul and Apollos are both instrumental in the process because they're faithful in the task that God has given them. Paul in planting and Apollos in watering. 
But it's God who brought the growth. It's God who brought the transformation. See, we like to get ourselves involved in the middle part of that process where the sower is just going about his daily work, going about his, his daily life. He's going to sleep and he's waking up. And see, I think that's why sometimes we have such, such difficulty in understanding why people aren't coming to faith and why people aren't growing in their faith is because we've interjected ourselves in the middle when God has us at the beginning and at the end. We get in there and think that we can somehow woo people to God. We can somehow pull them to God. But, but God told us to, to give them the word, to scatter the seed, that, that he did the growing. See, the problem is if you, get, if you get these people in churches who have been grown up by pastors or by Sunday school teachers or by deacons or by their parents, what happened is they didn't get growth that came from God. This is not talking here about discipleship and strengthening people. That's, that's long after this parable has taken place. There's been some people in the history of the church who have just simply been beaten into. They've been, they've been worked on so much that they finally just accepted Christ so that people would get off their back. We don't want to do that. We don't want to give people a false sense of security. I've been in churches where the invitation was so long that somebody had to go forward to get it over with. That's not how it works. We've got to be faithful. We need to concentrate on being faithful in what God has called us to do. To preach the word and teach the word and share the word with people. To invest in people's lives with with the word of God. And trust that as he works through his word, we will get to be there to see him bring them to faith, to be a part of the harvest. This this sower had done nothing except be faithful in the little things that God had called him to do. That's what the kingdom of God is like. We shouldn't teach it any other way. Now lastly here, The kingdom of God starts small. Look in verses 30 through 32. This one we've heard plenty of times if you've been in church most of your life. The parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed faith. Look what he says. With what can we compare the kingdom of God and what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the entire world, but it is the smallest seed that they would use in their garden. And it's just tiny. I mean, very tiny. You could take it and you'd plant it, and it would grow up and be large. And the ESV says to make nests in it. If you look at other translations, you're going to see to nest in it. The base, To nest in it or to rest in it. The basic concept here is that it grows up so big that the birds can get in the bush to find shade. 
So it goes from being this just small, irrelevant, unimpressive little seed that nobody really takes notice of. No one really cares about it. If you stepped on one, it wouldn't even interrupt your walking. To being at the time for them the, the largest plant in their garden. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's going to start out small. It's going to seem insignificant. And it's going to blossom. It's going to grow. This is about our faithfulness to the job that we've been given. In the whole scheme of the entire world, You're pretty small and insignificant. I'm pretty small and insignificant. I don't mean physically. Not very small or insignificant there, but just in the scheme of human history. Think about it. Think about all the people who have ever lived. Billions and billions of people have lived throughout the history of humanity. And we know only about a few of them because their names have been recorded in books. And outside of that, there is no memory of the majority of people who have ever lived. It's kind of a downer, isn't it? That unless you're famous, unless you get your name in books somewhere, a few generations from now... They might have your picture stored away somewhere on an external hard drive, whatever that is. They won't even have the technology to use it anymore. But that's going to be your memory. And yet, when the kingdom of God is our focus, when the king of that kingdom lives in our heart, the smallest, most insignificant thing, which is us, can become something amazing. It's the case, right? Jesus' disciples, one of them abandons him. The other 11 go on to change the world. The other 11 began a worldwide movement that that is basically the reasoning for Western civilization for the last 2,000 years. Our country was founded because people were seeking to have freedom to worship this king of this kingdom in a way that they chose. And so they left Europe coming here looking for a place where they could do that with freedom. If that's the case, then are we really that insignificant? We may not get our names in books, and we may not have statues made to us. There may not be days on the calendar which our names are remembered. But if the kingdom of God starts out small, and it explodes in its growth... And we are called to be a part of that. We need to understand that in, we are in no way significant when it comes, insignificant when it comes to the kingdom. 
No matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter your education, no matter how long you have been a believer in Christ, if you are a part of the kingdom, then you are no longer insignificant. But rather, God has a significant job for you to do. He has a great and powerful job for you to do. And yet, most of us are very comfortable with just being obscure. We just keep our lamp. We keep the kingdom. We we keep what we know about Jesus kind of tucked in. Because we've been told by our society, we've been told by our culture, you know, you need to keep your religious stuff to yourself. It doesn't define you. It may be a part of you, but it doesn't define who you are. You need to just kind of keep it to yourself and don't push it on other people and don't infringe on their rights and don't upset them and don't judge them and all of this malarkey. And yet we're reading this text that tells us that we have this lamp that cannot be hidden. We have this kingdom that though it has started out small, though it maybe started out small in our life in the time that we were called to Christ, it is supposed to explode in growth. It is supposed to grow and be the largest plant in the garden. And so we try to just keep it put away and keep it put back, but we can't do that because that's not how the kingdom works. See, I think it's one of the reasons why when you look at our culture in our country, the the following of Christ is on the decline. Churches are closing down. People are leaving the church. People are cashing it in. People are saying that they're they're just not following Christ anymore. But you go to the other parts of the world and it is exploding. And because most of us in America are elitists, we like to think, well, that's because we've become more educated here in America and more enlightened and we don't give in to these myths and fables anymore. And those people in the third world, they just don't know any better. They're ignorant. But the truth of the matter is, over there, the kingdom of God is exploding. And here, for too many generations, the church in America has tried to contain the kingdom. Try to say, well, let's not let this get out of hand. The, the plant is growing, if you will, and we keep trying to prune it back and keep it nice and neat, and yet it's, it's exploding because that's what the kingdom of God does. It can't do anything less than that. That's why, for me, it's exciting when I get to go to other places in the world because you can get a little taste of God's kingdom exploding. People excited. People who walk for miles and miles to go to church. People who go to churches that do not have windows and air conditioning. People that go to churches where the animals come in and walk in the back door and go to the worship service with them. Why? Because they're focused on the kingdom. And if we teach the kingdom is anything but a kingdom whose growth is exploding, then we are teaching about a false kingdom because that's the only way the kingdom of God works. And so he challenges them with this. Verse 33-34. He says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without parables. 
But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. You know, he's teaching just whole crowds of people with these parables. And some of them got it. Some of them received it. And they were excited about it. That the kingdom of God was, was exploding in growth. They were, they were excited about the kingdom of God that is, that is growing up even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't know what's going on. And we get to be a part of the harvest. And then some of them didn't. They just didn't care. It's like, man. Here's this guy telling his stories again. You got to imagine some of the religious leaders, they lived in the city. They didn't deal with farming. They didn't get their hands dirty. And so when he told these stories of these farmers out and working in the ground and getting dirty and getting hot and sweaty, they didn't want anything to do with that. But he told them as much as they could hear. And privately, he explained all of these things to his disciples. You know, the good news for us is that the message of the kingdom has been exposed. It is not a secret. I don't understand fully how it works. I don't understand how God is ruling and reigning, and yet we still see sin and violence. I don't understand all of that. But I do know that he and his kingdom are moving forward. Great things are happening in his kingdom. And you and I, our desire should not be that we get God's kingdom to work the way we want it to and within our structure and within our time frame, but rather we want to see how God's kingdom is working and we want to jump on and be a part of what he is doing. We want to see as God is reaching people and saving people. We want to be a part of that. We want to seek out where that is happening. We want to seek him out and be a part of what he is doing. See, what I take away from this parable with this guy who is sowing is, if he would have went out there and tried to do all of these things, he would have messed it up. Instead, he is there and watching. And every day he goes out and a little more growth has happened. And the plants are a little taller. And the next day, a little taller. And he is, he is there just waiting, knowing that when the time is right, he gets to jump back in and be a part of that. That should be us. God is growing people. God is doing a great thing with his word. And we should desire to be a part of that. And every time we see it happening, we should want to jump on and be a part of what God is doing. But sometimes we like to, to get in our dirt and dig around, pull out some water. Get some fertilizer and keep digging. Nothing's happening. Half the time we've not even planted the seeds yet, but we're trying to get the soil working and we're trying to get it moving and we're trying to get something happening. We didn't even plant the seeds. Let us, as believers in Christ, let us as a church desire to work where God is working and do what God is doing. Our, our heart needs to be where God's heart is. When, when we see God moving in, in a group of people, when we see God moving in, in our community, we should want to be a part of that. So often, 
I've been in churches and they've seen where other churches are growing or other churches are, are having good things happen or other churches are baptizing people and, and all of these things. And instead of rejoicing, instead of wanting what they've got, people lament, why can't God do that here? We need to be excited that God is working. Not trying to Steal someone's thunder or try to take something from someone else. Be excited that God is working and trust that he knows what he's doing. And trust that as we continue to plant seeds and plant seeds and plant seeds, God is going to give us a great harvest. He's going to do something amazing in our church. He's going to do something amazing maybe that we've not seen in in decades. Maybe that, that this church has never seen before. And it might not happen in the four walls of this room. It might happen as we become more finely attuned to what God is doing in our life and in the life of the people around us. As we get ready to close this morning, I want to close with a time of prayer. Our singers will come sing in a minute and, and everything, but, but I, want, I want this time as we close to be a time of prayer that God would break our hearts as a church for his kingdom. That we, as the people of God, would seek out what God is doing. You know, sometimes we want to stand there. We want to stand right where we're at and just wait till God does something. But what God wants us to do is to look at where he's working and run to help. If God's working in another country, we need to be there. We need to be working. If God's working out here in our community, we need to be there. We need to be working with him. If God's working here at our church, we need to be here. We need to be working. If he's working in our schools, we need to be there, and we need to be working. We need to be wherever God is working. And so as we close this morning, as as they're singing, I want us all to pray that God would show us the work he has for us to do. That he would show us where we need to go, what we need to be doing, how we need to be working. That he would remind us that it takes just the smallest seed in the garden to grow, to bloom, to to provide shade for the birds of the air. It, it takes just the smallest bit because his word is always working. I want us to have that time of prayer. They're going to come sing. I'm going to pray. You can pray where you're at. You can pray here at the front. I want us to pray that God would work in our midst and show us how we get to be a part of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we God, we're grateful. We're grateful that we get to be a part of your kingdom. Lord God, we 
are often so, God, so incompetent, so helpless to do anything. God, we, we look at our lives, we look at, we look at our abilities, and we realize that they just do not add up. You have this great and powerful kingdom. And you have called us to leave the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of our sin, the kingdom of ourself, and to follow you. God, I would just pray that we would seek fully your face. We would seek fully to know and understand exactly where you have called us to be. That, God, we would, we would turn from following our own direction. We would turn from, God, any desires that we have to benefit ourselves. And our focus and our desire would be fully on being a part of your kingdom. God, I believe you're working in our community. And, Lord, my hope and prayer is that we would work with you. God, I know that you're working in our state. And God, I pray that we would work with you. Lord God, as you work in our nation, God, my prayer is that we would come along beside where you are working and we would be faithful to the task that you have for us. And God, I know that you're working throughout our world. God, you're working in South America and Central America in Europe and in Africa and in Asia and Australia. God, you're working on every continent on this earth. You're working in every people group. You're working in every tribe and tongue. And God, I pray that we would work with you. God, that our heart would be your heart. Lord God, call us to do great and mighty things in your name and in your power and your authority. God, as we have this time of prayer, Lord God, I pray, I hope, God, that you would break hearts, that you would, God, you would call people to yourself, you would call people to do the work that you've given us. Lord, we praise you for who you are, and we praise you for all that you're going to do, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. As they sing, I welcome you to sing or to come pray. I just want this to be a time of prayer for our church and our people, that we would be about the work that God has for us. Would you join me as we pray?